thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back after a short break slash sabbatical. Uh, it's been a few weeks uh, since our Halloween episode, wasn't it? So it's been uh, about two weeks. Are you well? I'm well, yes. I'm good. How are you? I'm also well. Um, we're all well. And we've got over the spooktacular event that was Halloween and the mortuary assistant. Have you been sleeping soundly, I trust? Yes, I didn't have any issues sleeping after playing that game. Well, that's fantastic. It must have been because you were so that scared. sarcasm. Oh, it must be because yeah. you were so scared that um, it, it, it scared you senseless, perhaps. Yes. Mm. I, th- I thought that Brain might dead. be the case. Well, some, some, some would say that, yes. Um, yes, everyone. All of them. Quite, yes. Well, um, without further ado, we shall proceed, as we always do, into today's topic. So, if you listened to our last episode, which was our Halloween special, we discussed that this week we would be touching on quite a big game, personally for me. Um, But this week we are talking about Final Fantasy VII, after... Uh, three and a half years of me rabbiting on about how much I like it. So here we are. After this episode, you can never mention never. Final Fantasy VII again. I can never even say the word final. Um, any, any, or Fantasy or Seven. That's right. In life. That's correct. Um, until we talk about you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake at some point in the future, maybe. Um, but until then, yes. got, got, got to zip it, haven't I? Yes. That's right. That's the rules. Well, then we shall proceed accordingly. Um, so, Final Fantasy VII was released in 1997 and was developed by Square Enix. It originally released on the PlayStation 1, so it was um, it was one of the early-ish games, I suppose, on that, on that system. And the Metascore that it has, it's released on quite a few systems since then, but it looks like the Metascore for the original PlayStation release was a score of 92 so high up there i think it just about missed out on the top 100 didn't it um i think um games have to score nine high 93 um to get onto the list i think they're the lowest scoring games yes so it just about missed out to strangely enough final fantasy 9 which was one of the early games that we um we talked about, wasn't it? I think that was probably within our first six months, perhaps, that we talked about. And what score did that get? Um, Do you know off the top of your head? No, but I can have a little look. Um, Final Fantasy IX Metacritic. I'd also be um, curious, maybe not today, but um, to know where other Final Fantasy entries that made the list or made their way onto Metacritic um, where they landed and what score they got. Um, Final Fantasy Nine curiosity. got a ninety-four. So oh, that's pretty impressive, really. I'd say so. I, that's definitely up there. I'm just seeing if I can find um, Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy Ten got a ninety-two. I know that you're a big fan of that game. Well, and yeah, I'm a decent fan, I'd say. Biggest fan. 
And Let's not over-egg the pudding yet. Final Fantasy VIII's got 90, but I know you've not played that one. You don't really know too much about that one, do you? No, I'm intrigued by that. I actually bought it um, on a whim after playing Final Fantasy IX with the... I, th- I think you said to me that it's quite a different game from IX, but... Massively. I found that quite appealing, and I quite like the art style for it. It's a, it's a more, I'd it's... say, grounded, realistic art style. Yeah, it's closer to Final Fantasy VII in terms of environment than Final Fantasy IX is, but it's still quite way off what Final Fantasy VII is. Because um, Final Fantasy VII is quite steampunk, isn't it? Whereas Final Fantasy IX is very like high fantasy kind of stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. What about eight then? Where does that sit or land? I'd say it kind of sits more in realism. Um, there are still obviously bombastic elements to it as there are in every Final Fantasy game, but a majority of the game takes place in a military school. So okay. it is somewhat steeped in realism to some extent, I suppose. Um, and I know amongst early Final Fantasy fans, there is a um, bit of division in that, yes, lots of people do like Final Fantasy Seven, but you've also got um, some people whose favourite is 8, some people whose favourite is 9, and some pe- people whose favourite is 10. Um yeah. So yeah, and and obviously going further back, you've got a lot of lovers of six. Um, six is fantastic, which I think was pre the Metacritic um, aggregate system. So mm-hmm. we we probably won't get a score for that. No, there, there have been re-releases though, so there there will be something online for Final yeah. Fantasy six. Um, but I mean, the, the the re-releases never quite um, capture the feeling at the time, do they? I don't think of, so. Of any game, I mean. I mean, um, well, I'm looking, I'm just looking through the the system now. So, the top entry for Final Fantasy VI on Metacritic uh, is the Game Boy version, Game Boy Advance. Um, and to be fair... I thought that would be it. Well, for a Game Boy entry, it's got 92. So... Yeah, so if you remember um, when we did uh, Zelda Link to the Past... That was the Game Boy Advance entry, I believe. Mm, yeah, true. Game Boy Advance entry. Um, and there are a few re-releases of, of older games from the Super Nintendo era um, released on the Game Boy Advance because I think in terms of the system, in terms of the, the tech, the spec, um, they were similar. And yeah, so you've got some re-releases and, and yeah, it's, it's probably pretty close. But I think... It's hard to capture the feeling of for a game at the time of release because yeah. that feeling of freshness is not there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Final Fantasy VI would be an interesting game for us to go to at some point because um, I like the soundtrack of that game. Um, the soundtrack's fantastic. I've heard bits I think of the soundtrack and go on. I was going to say, uh, I think you may have showed me bits and pieces of Final Fantasy VI, thinking that it would appeal to me and. Mm-hmm. On paper, it does. Um, you said that I quite quite like one of the villainous characters. Kefka. Someone clown-like is there. Yeah, Kefka Palazzo. He's um, he's a bit like a jester. The, the the thing that people love about Final Fantasy VI, and it has elements of Final Fantasy VII in it as well, or Seven has elements of Six in it, I suppose, is that I think up until Final Fantasy VI, they felt very game-like and there weren't very many stakes, I guess. Whereas Final Fantasy VI does things that games in the series hadn't done up until that point, you know, it does tackle things like um, hopelessness and suicide. Dark, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, um, we'll talk about 
we'll talk about uh, Final Fantasy VII's um, villain, Sephiroth, in a, a bit of detail. But Kefka is very different because from what I remember, I've not played Final Fantasy VI for about 15, maybe longer years, but he, he succeeds in his mission. And he doesn't have any particular rhyme or reason for being evil and being a, a psycho. He just does it because it entertains him. A bit like um a bit like the Joker in the Dark Knight. Um yeah. he just does it because he can. And I think that's a big draw of Final Fantasy VI to people. Um but the music and the story in that game are superb. It is huge. And maybe we'll play it someday. Uh maybe we'll play eight as well. Yeah, I I would I'd be curious to I mean yeah, we've got we've got our further lot of fifteen games. We've already had a bit of a conversation about those mm-hmm. and um yeah, I would like to see some of these games on here that I've never had a chance to play and really have a bit of a um, an interest in playing. I wouldn't say um, I'd be bowled over to play them, but I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels with the Final Fantasy series that the real turning point for it probably was 6, but then it exploded with Final Fantasy 7. And I think there are a few reasons for that, but we'll we'll come on to that as we go i suppose but as um yeah as the newest feature we newish feature that we've got in the uh, the podcast we'll read out a couple of the reviews so unfortunately because yes. this game the is the feature i'm most looking forward to well, i would say unfortunately there aren't any user reviews for the original playstation version however Damn. i can have a look at a user review for one of the the port releases but please do the highest critic review for Final Fantasy VII from the time is from PSX Nation and they gave it a 100 and the top line for this is this is the one game you must buy or otherwise you'll never see the true power of the PlayStation so okay high high praise and the lowest yeah, a fair point for the time oh 100% yes absolutely and that's probably important to to mention that these reviews are from 1997 so very different world um but the lowest is from a uh, a what's the word i'm looking for a company or, or magazine or something called electric playground an outlet an outlet that's the word i was looking for an outlet so electric playground gave final fantasy 7 a 75 and it said there is okay. there is tons so there are tons of our no there is ah oh, that's me thinking I'm smarter than Electric Playground from 1997. There is tons of RPG combat, which is a little too slow for some people. No, you were right that it should have been there are. There are tons of RPG... I don't know, there are tons of RPG combat. I don't know. Mm, Yeah, it sounds like a bad translation. If there are any English teachers that listen, please help. Um, But verbatim, there is tons of RPG combat. It should be, there is a ton of RPG combat. There we go. There is a ton of RPG combat, which is a little too slow for some people, and slowed even further by all of the spectacular but lengthy spell animations. So, that's what the critics said at the time. Okay. Um, So, if I go to... There are no reviews for the PC. Are there any... None for the PS4. got to be some... There are for the Switch. Okay. So, we'll go off the Switch. And bear in mind that these are... These are, you know... Yes, very modern. So, the top is from a user called J64, and it just says, My favourite piece of media ever. If you're a a JRPG fan, this is a must. 
And the very lowest of the low is uh, all reviews, negative reviews. Okay, so the lowest rev uh, review is a zero. And of it's course. by a, uh, a user called Ryo and Flex. One of the best game of all time. One of the worst and laziest port of all time at full price. Okay. Square Enix is giving you the finger as always. Greed level max. Um, but tell okay. you what, I'll, I'll give you a better one that's maybe um, a bit more. That was interesting though. It's a bit of nice context, isn't it? Oh yeah, hundred percent. The the ports are a conversation themselves. And we yeah we've 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 talked about this during the precursor to this episode. Um, maybe we'll elaborate more as the episode goes on. The second lowest rated user review, which is more on the, the content of the game. Extremely overrated. Oh, they gave it a two, by the way. And this score is from three years ago, so 2020. Extremely okay. overrated. Definitely the worst game out of the entire series. Evil corporations ruining the environment is such a tired and overplayed trope, even by 1997 standards. The big bad villain... Jesus. The big bad villain is an autistic man-child with a big sword. Wow. The main character is an autistic man-child with a big sword. The rest of the characters are boring or just poorly designed. The best in the cast by far is Kat Shi. Mini games can't safe this dumpster fire. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about some re uh, redeeming qualities. But there you go. So Sephiroth and, mm. and Cloud um, <laughs> described as autistic man-children. So, yeah, I don't, don't really like that description. No, um, but I guess welcome to the internet, I suppose. Um, yeah. We open ourselves up to this or we started including user commentary. Quite. Yes, that's that's right. So I would hearken back first to the top Nintendo Switch user review where they say that this is their favourite piece of media ever. So we've talked yeah. about this game quite a lot in passing for the past three years. And I've always said that this is my favourite game ever. But... I would probably go as far to say that Final Fantasy VII is my favourite piece of media ever. Um, above films, above books, above any other game, Final Fantasy VII is the thing that really... I don't know, there's something very special about this game to me. And okay. I don't know if I can describe it off the bat, and I don't know if I'll be able to describe it by the end of this podcast, but there is something about this game that's very very special to me and I don't know if it's because of the time that I played it or the times that I played it or or the story or the themes or, or the characters or what it is but this story has very deep meaning to me to the point where I think I mentioned before I've got the logo of the game tattooed on my arm um, of the comet so so I want you to um, describe to me and also the listener the environment and the setting that you first played this game and the parameters that you played this game under. Um, because I find when you're playing a game or you're watching a film, that is really important to your... Uh, uh, so I want to understand kind of who you were at this time. How did you get this game? What did you feel playing this game? Was anyone sitting with you? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I, I was quite young. Um, when I played this game for the first time and I'm just looking now because I can't remember the specific title um, yeah there it is so I think I must have been maybe about 10 
I think, when I played this for the first time. And growing up, I was very close with my cousin. Um, to anyone that knows me or, or or kind of doesn't know me, I'm I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings. So growing so you up, played this four years, about four years after it came out, then about that, I think, maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was I'm playing interviewer at the moment. Sorry, I'm playing interviewer at the moment. You are. You're uh. You're you're, you're playing Jeremy Paxman. Is who you are right now. Is that Paxman? Michael Parkinson. Yeah. There we go. Um, but yeah, so I grew up with my cousin who's about three years older than me, four years older than me maybe. She was a bit like my sister. And we both had Playstations and she was a big fan of the original Tomb Raider games, which to be fair, I am as well, um, but her more so. And I don't know if it was for Christmas maybe, but for Christmas one year... Her mum, so my auntie, um, bought us both a PlayStation game. So she bought me Breath of Fire 3, which I think I've mentioned which to you before. Which you're also fond of. I am. Yeah. I, I, I bought, uh, I re-bought it um, about two years ago for the PS1. It was about 65, 70 quid. Um, and I've, I've not touched it since, but I've got a lot of nostalgia for that game as well. Um, but yeah, so she bought me Breath of Fire 3 and she bought my cousin Final Fantasy 7. And it's hard to remember a lot of stuff from, you know, 22 years ago. But from what I recall, I don't think that my cousin was that into it. And I kind of get why. It's very different from, like, an action-based platforming explorer game like Tomb Raider. And I think that she played it a bit, but she couldn't get on with it. So I borrowed it off her, just out of interest, I think. And... I, I can't really describe the first time that I played it because I don't remember. But something that I think is probably important to note is that I didn't complete this game until I was about 18 or 19. Um, so from memory, when I was a bit younger playing this game, I probably ran around Midgar for a while and I think I probably got as far as... I don't know, maybe the Shinra headquarters. Um so just before you leave the Midgar area of the game, which is about eight to ten hours into the game, isn't it, ish? Depending on how you're yeah. playing. Uh, and I never got further than that. And it was one of those games that I came back to occasionally, but I could never really get far. And I remember I played it through over the years up into the North Cave. And I think I tried getting to Sephiroth and beating him. But because of the way that I'd played it, for so long I basically just escaped battles so I, I definitely wasn't leveled enough to take on Sephiroth um, and I, I couldn't complete it so I just left it until I was about 19 um, so it was only a year or so before I met you I suppose um, yeah I, I sat down with it and I, I played it through from start to finish I knew that I liked it and I knew that I had a, a, a bit of a fondness for it but I played it through from start to finish and, and finally did complete it and I don't know it's it's a weird one for me because we've talked about um, uh, Zelda uh, Majora's Mask for you or, you know, other games that are, are quite special and you've got quite clear memories of the first times that you played them or the first times that you completed them. Whereas my memory of playing Final Fantasy VII is very spotty and maybe that's in, in line with the game as well with... Um, you know, with clouds. Well, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Majora's Mask episode, but I think it's quite a common thing um, for children to play a game 
but not complete it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But within that time to develop a fondness for it and then to go back some years later and complete it because I didn't complete Majora's Mask at the time. I can, I don't know if, if I went into this in the episode, but I completed it um, some years later. I don't know how many. I, I can't remember. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like that's quite a common thing because you're playing games that you're not nece- you don't necessarily have the skill level to complete at the time or even to and comprehend you yeah um so i wonder if that's quite a common thing potentially um but you know since since then i've completed this game you know so many times and i've played it in so many different ways um and as well as that we're not really going to touch on it that much in this episode but there is an entire kind of final fantasy 7 universe that spans around this game um, with yeah, films and yeah, there are two films. And... Uh, sorry, no, there's not two films. There's one film. There's been a remake. There have been two or three Other sequels. Games. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, manga, blah blah blah. So th- there is a a wide selection of media around this game that that it's birthed, and of course the big thing being, and I remember when it happened, the um, the announcement for Final Fantasy VII remake in 2015. Um, I, yeah. re- I remember how massive that was and I, I recall actually because I was lame at the time um, posting a photo of the logo of the remake on my Instagram and everyone was like, eh, what's this? Um, but <laughs> that was huge because people were asking for a remake for this game for, for so many years, particularly after Square did like a little remake or reimagining of the intro cutscene for the PlayStation 3 I think in 2007 Um but yes, we'll uh, we'll come on to that. So, do you have any history with this game? We've talked about mine there at length. Um, so I, I mentioned this in the in the, the build up to this episode. We talked about um, my history with this game, which is very limited, and that is um, seeing someone who lived two doors down from me play this game on their PlayStation when. We were going to play out and we knocked on and um, they were finishing up a section. Um, and I said at the time, I couldn't remember what yeah. the area was. It was, a, it was a sort of fuzzy memory. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did remember, I didn't elaborate then and I'm going to elaborate a bit now. Yeah. Um, what I did remember was a mansion. And oh, okay. in my memory, um, it was raining, but um, I'm not sure that ever happens in the game no. unless I missed it. So I think my memory is a bit fuzzy um, of it, but I'm guessing it was the Nibelheim mansion. mansion. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so the mansion in Nibelheim. So uh, that, when I arrived there, I thought that feels like it, but nothing quite um, matches the memory that I have of it. Um, yeah. I have like some pictures in my mind and... They don't. They didn't quite line up perfectly, and I think memory is a funny thing. And um, the the way it is, it, your memory is not reliable. No. And you can go and play a game today that you played um, decades ago, and you might remember sections when you play them, but actually before you played them, your memory could be a bit fuzzy, and you've misremembered half the things, or you've you've added things and. And, and it's funny when I, when I meet up with friends and um, we talk about times in the past, 
sometimes they'll remind me of something that I'd long forgotten in my mind and the moment they mention it, it, it comes, comes flooding back. back and yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really strange how the memory works, and and obviously I, I don't understand it, but um, yeah, I just thought that's a yeah an interesting tangent to go on. No, a hundred percent. Um, and it, it it's interesting, like you say, when you you come back upon these places, like you know when you got to the Shinra Mansion for the first time in this playthrough, it probably felt familiar, but also a little bit off. Not quite right. Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, that is a very off portion of the game as well. Um, I always found, particularly as a kid, going into the Shinra Mansion, it made me very on edge. Um, I think because of the music. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a haunted setting. If there are any haunted settings in this game, that's mm-hmm. it. Correct. Um, but yeah, so th- this is this is really your first time properly playing through it, and um, yeah, and, and going through the story. So we'll come on to the story in a moment. But something that I want to mention. Um, before we move ahead is just how big it was that this game came onto the PlayStation. So up until this point, Final Fantasy games had pretty much just been Nintendo games. And I believe that development for Final Fantasy VII started in about 93, 94. And they actually created, I don't know if you saw this, but they created like um, did. a little working demo of what they wanted Final Super Fantasy VII to look like. Prototype, wasn't there? Yeah, and they used the um, the character models from Final Fantasy VI, but in 3D. And as they were developing it, they realised how big the scale of the game they wanted to make was. And it, if it was going to be on Nintendo, it was originally going to be on the SNES, um, but then the, the, the N64 came out and uh, they were going to move it on to there. But I think from when they looked at it, the amount of game that they could fit on one PlayStation disc was the equivalent of something like 30 Nintendo 64 cartridges, but just because of the memory on yeah. those things were, were so different. Well, it, it was, uh, from from my understanding as well, it was the full motion cutscenes. Yes, that was it. I learned many, many years later that the Nintendo 64 could actually do. Um, mm-hmm. Games like Resident Evil 2 on the Nintendo 64 have full motion cutscenes. Yeah. Um, but for them to have included it in this game, the size of this game as it is anyway, without the compression techniques used in Resident Evil 2, um, yeah, it would have been number of cartridges. Yeah, it, w- it would have been too many. So um, Square Square Enix made the decision to, um, to, to jump ship and move over to the, the PlayStation. And it was a very, very long time before they started releasing games again for Nintendo because... Really, up until that point. Um, the next one was Crystal Chronicles on the, um, I think it was the, the, the Game Boy Advance. I think that was maybe, maybe it was on the, the maybe. GameCube. Was, uh, no, it was about 2000, maybe 2003-ish. Okay, so about six years. Um, but up until that point, Square Enix had been not a first-party developer for Nintendo, but as good as. Oh, and of course, um, if that, that, that Game Boy Advance version of Final, Final Fantasy VI... Yes. was probably in the early 2000s as well. But yeah, for, for mainline consoles, it was uh, it was Crystal Chronicles. Um, I'm just checking the date on that. Yes. But you carry on. Um, but the Final Fantasy VI came out on the Game Boy Advance in 2007. Um, oh, okay. So that's, it was a bit, a a bit later. Time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to note how big that problem was was for Nintendo because like I say 
Square Enix weren't a first-party developer for Nintendo, but they were as good as. They were they were very close. So them moving over to the PlayStation, which there was... 2003. 2003. Okay, so six years. Yeah. Um, but there, there was a lot of rivalry between Nintendo and PlayStation anyway because of the the way that the PlayStation came into existence with, you know, the, the botched deal between Nintendo and, and Sony for the, the Nintendo PlayStation. So I just wanted to bring that up briefly. But um, And I think it's fair to say that this game was pretty... I mean, I think PlayStation was already um, beating the N64 because it had a couple of years head start. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this game was massive for yeah. the PlayStation and... I mean, this game probably was for the PlayStation not far off um, what Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time were to the N64. This Final Fantasy VII was... You only have to look at the um, the hype surrounding the release of this game and the advertisements and the TV commercials, etc. was the biggest thing ever, to some extent. And there are probably arguments to say that this was one of the biggest games like in terms of scale and size ever, you know, um, this game on the PS1 came over three discs and that became a theme with the Final Fantasy games on the PS1 uh, because Final Fantasy 7 had three discs, Final Fantasy 7, 8 and 9 had four discs. So these were huge games and just how big the hype was around this, you know, the comparison to oh, this is going to be bigger than any movie you've ever seen. And, you know, the marketing surrounding this film only showed off the FMV cutscenes. It didn't actually show what the in-game graphics looked like, which was very different. But yes, it was it was a huge deal, this game coming out. It was absolutely massive. Um, so we should probably move on to the story because this is yes. a very in-depth, complex and detailed story, I guess. But do you want to have a go at... And at times, confusing. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's very confusing. It goes in lots of different directions. Do, do, you, uh, do you want to give it a go and explain it? I'll give it a go. Give it a um, go. I'm sure you'll fit in the gaps. So, um, you are... I, I mean, I, I'm actually going to skim over it because I'm, I'm sure we, we may go into some bits in more detail anyway. So, you are um, part of a group called Avalanche who are a rebel eco-terrorist organisation... Yeah, uh, which is interesting. It's an interesting setup. Mm. And you play as Cloud, Cloud Strife, I believe the name Correct. is. Um, and you are a former member of Soldier, who is, I suppose, a government organisation. Um, yeah. And you are rebelling against Shinra, who is this sort of megacorp, um, evil megacorp, who's trying to take... Um, Mako mm-hmm. from the land and yep. use it in their nefarious deeds. And Mako and is uh, like an energy source, isn't it? Yeah. So to form Mako or Mako or however you pronounce it, um, basically when people die, that their their energy or their aura kind of rejoins with the land, the world, and it creates this pool of energy. And they're trying to use this energy. But what they're doing is draining the world of its life, basically, its essence. And um, so you're part of this terrorist group. You've got, I, I will I mention the key main characters. You've got Barrett, who's the leader of this group, who 
um, sort of a sidekick to you. And you've got Tifa, who is a childhood friend. You've got Aerith, who is um, a flower girl. I do like that description of her. Yeah, It's like the subtext there is a simple flower girl. That, that's what she is. That's mm-hmm. her description. That's that's her label in life, but she's so much more than that. Um, so then you've got some other characters kind of surrounding them. Um, I'd say less important characters. And you are... you. Are, so when you were with Soldier, this is where it gets hard to... Because the game jumps backwards and forwards. And the linear path is... is difficult to track because of that so when you were in soldier as cloud you um five years ago met sephiroth who is the big bad in this game and he was on your side then and then something happens five years ago um he finds out something and it causes a slow in wrestling terms heel turn where he kind of becomes the bad guy um you find out later on that he's alive. I mean, I realise I'm jumping all over the place here. Um, you find out he's alive. You start to track him across the world. You realise that he is trying to find a place called the, the, something land. The the Paradise land. land. Uh, promised land, okay. And um, in order to do that, he wants to use the Mako. And you're... I suppose your your overarching task is to stop him. But along the way, you learn more about Cloud. You learn the fact that um, his memories are not quite true um, of what happened five years ago and other things. Um, You learn a bit more about Barrett and his backstory and how he lost his arm. You learn about Tifa. And her story is very much interwoven with Cloud's. And um, spoilers, but probably not spoilers if you know video games. Um, Aerith dies along the way about halfway through and that becomes a big reason for you um, working to overthrow Sephiroth because he kills her and she returns to the land to the energy energy pool of the land Um, I'm sure I've (laughs) skipped many things there Um, it is a it's a story that jumps around it's a story that will give you flashbacks mm-hmm. of things and then it will say that those things weren't true and then it will say actually here's what happened there um so you're constantly on this journey trying to unpick exactly what's going on and there were times where i got a bit lost yeah. there are times where i was kind of clued in again um but i suppose to yourself who's played this game many times it's a bit more clear yeah, and, and even so, there are still some elements of it I have to kind of remind myself and look into sometimes. Um, the, I think, yeah, I, th- I think that's a pretty good summary of it. The, the more in depth element like it. of it, it, it it's, it's a really hard game to describe. It's a very in depth and intricate story, um, which starts like thousands of years in the past when the a race called the Setra are on earth and they're called like the ancients and at some point something happens where this being crashes down and it's called the calamity of the skies uh, it's, a, it's a being called Genova and the Setra believe that Genova is one of them Genobal. because she's a shape shift yeah a shape shifter and did you say Jehovah 
I said, I said Chernobyl. 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 Jehovah the Chernobyl. Um, but yeah, Jenova is a shape-shifting alien that just wants to basically take over the world. Um, and she pretty much wipes out... Sort of like out a shape-shifting blobby. A, a shape-shifting blobby. Sometimes called Mr. Blobby, perhaps. Um, but yeah, Jenova effectively kills off all of the the Setra or the Ancients uh, and tries to destroy the planet, but at which point these huge monsters called Weapons come out to effectively entomb her so she can't cause any more harm. And then the Setra kind of die out and then we get to the point in the game where we start. And you mentioned earlier that the the nice description of Aerith is that she's just a simple flower girl. However, it's revealed later on in the story that she is kind of like the last descendant of the ancients who are very in tune and very in touch with the planet. And it's prophesied that the uh, the ancients will lead the world to the promised land. Um, I feel like it drops that story halfway through. It does. I think it, it drops it after she dies. Um, yeah. And Which I think it, is a shame because I feel like that had a lot of promise. It's, it's funny because the game is kind of split into a few parts. So I'd say the first part of the game, you're focused on destroying the Shinra organization. The second part of the game is focused on tracking down, tracing and killing Sephiroth. And then the third part of the game is about saving the world. And, you know, the whole thing with Sephiroth, and we'll come on to him in a bit, because I think he's one of the most interesting video game villains there is. Because you, you mentioned there that you find out that Sephiroth's still alive. Um, the thing is, he isn't. And the Sephiroth that you are chasing throughout the whole game is a version of Genova, because she's a shapeshifter she shapeshifts into Sephiroth and you think that you're chasing Sephiroth, but you're not. You're you're tracking down Genova. And it's only um, halfway through disc two when Cloud gives the black materia to Sephiroth because Sephiroth is encased in this um, this rock in the northern cave. It's only when you do that that Sephiroth comes back, but he just basically locks himself in the northern crater and is waiting for a meteor to hit the hit the earth and destroy it so he can take over it with Genova, who he thinks is his is his mother. But Sephiroth is a super soldier that was created with cells of Genova. And all of the the soldiers in Soldier, including Cloud, are exposed to Genova cells to make them super soldiers. Whereas Sephiroth was the first one. He is incredibly strong and he's effectively he's like a myth Sephiroth he's so so huge and so great and primarily the story then shifts after Aerith's death to trying to stop this meteor that's been called down to earth by Sephiroth from hitting the earth and and saving the day I suppose but it's really hard to sum up this story in less than 15, 20, maybe even 30 minutes because there are just so many elements to it and so many paths and stories yeah. for each of the characters. Well, there are videos out there for that. Oh, yeah. I think people can go and find mm-hmm. out about it there if they need D- definitely. to. Definitely. But that brings us on to the themes of the game. And there are two very prominent themes. And I know that you've watched one, maybe two videos ahead of time. 
um, there was a video series released by The Completionist, which I know that you struggle to watch because the old Completionist videos were very obnoxious. Um, but he brings up the two main themes of this game, which I agree with, which are loss and identity. And this game has a huge emphasis on the loss of various things, including the loss of self and the loss of identity. Do you have you got any thoughts on the themes of this game or anything that you want to bring to the table in terms of that? Um, let me hear what you've got to say first, and then I'll um, so I may tag in. I'll, I'll focus on the themes of loss. Everything in this game is linked back to the loss of something. So the planet is losing its life force because it's being sucked out by the Shinra. Cloud has lost his sense of identity. Um, and that's an entire, entirely different bucket of worms to open because the whole thing with Cloud in this game is incredibly complicated and very hard to explain. Um, yeah, I, I don't get it. No, and, and, and that's fair enough. Um, basically, all you, all you need to know, listener, is there are two characters, Cloud and Zack, Cloud thinks that he has lived through all of these memories as a first-class soldier, but then realises that he didn't actually, and it was Zack that was the hero five years ago. Um, and you realise halfway through the game that Cloud is incredibly messed up and is broken. Um, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing, but that is the, the sense of loss. He loses his identity, um, arguably before the, the game even starts. Um but then you've got Tifa, who lost her home, which was burnt down by Sephiroth five years ago. Barrett, who has lost his family, his home, his his best friend. You've got Aerith, who, who's lost her entire people. Um, you've got Yuffie, who is a side character who's lost um, every, like her identity of where she comes from because her, her home's become a, a huge tourist place. You've got Red 13, who has lost his family and is very much of the opinion that his father's a coward until it gets revealed to him that his father was actually a hero. And everyone in this game has lost something. And I think that through the game, as part of that loss, it's very much a case of them trying to cope with that loss and trying to find a way to deal with it, I guess. Um, another example is Sid, who every Final Fantasy game has got a Sid. The Sid in this game is a pilot who was going to go to space, um, but he uh, he aborts last minute to save the life of someone that he knows, and that dream then gets ripped away from him, and he can never go to space. So everyone has lost something. Any thoughts after I've said all that? Um, well, I know you said to me that the theme of this game changed because the director or the produce, producer, one of the two, um, they experienced their own loss during development of their mother. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the game was framed um, with this sort of exploration of loss and what that means to people. My only thing to add, really, I think... I mean, I'm sure... I, I'm sure you may have penned in talking about Aerith's um, yep. demise, her death. Um, so I had some thoughts about that leading up to it. And, and, and that was, in my, in my game, 
Aerith and Cloud didn't really spend that much time together. No. The time they did spend was nice. It was it was um, quite sweet mm-hmm. and it was quite enjoyable, especially her introduction. I liked that whole section. Then she sort of went away for a little bit because, frankly, she wasn't that useful to me in battle. No, I never used um, Aerith. So she went away and, and, and the party splits then and then you only meet up in key towns and have um, the occasional conversation. There's a, there's a, a date scene later on that you told me that um, depending on your decisions, yeah. it can play out differently. You can go with a different character. Tifa, Barrett, you feel Aerith. Yeah, and I ended up on a date with um, Tifa. Right. So again, I hadn't really spent any time with Aerith. And then... All of a sudden, this story that they started telling at the beginning of the game, which, as I said, was quite sweet, Mm -hmm. came to an alarming close in that she died. And I said to you, and and in my playthrough, it didn't feel earned. It didn't feel like it had developed towards this because that wasn't the experience that I had. Um, I said to you that I felt that would have been more impactful if you had been forced to spend more time with her yeah, and yeah. you grow it was kind of natural and organic and yeah um however one thing that got me um i i really quite like the music when Aerith dies and i think that's quite a common sentiment yeah um i really like the words yes they might be a bit obvious and um but i, I like the wording that cloud uses when she dies like something along the lines of um she'll never like talk away. or breathe again yeah she'll yeah. never yeah and for me um i could imagine that those were the words of the developer or the producer yeah coming to terms with loss and questioning those things of um the world or a god if you believe in god or um whatever but just questioning i suppose the meaning of life and then that that's where it is the meaning of life and and loss questioning this loss that something can happen to someone unfairly and that life that they have is snatched from them and i really got a, a sense of that from that wording and in in combination with the the soundtrack i you you said before that you follow storylines and you like storylines and that's yeah. what i've i've come to realize about myself i like moments mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is a well developed well put together moment stays with me and does it kind of resonates with me and that was one of those. There are a couple in this game. Um, that was the biggest one. And other games that I've played, I've done it all over the place. Um, some games don't do it at all. So, yeah, I, I like moments. And I feel like a moment is sort, sort of like a painting of a particular moment. And there's mm. something very powerful about that, capturing a moment, yeah. I don't even know what, what where, where I'm going no, with this. No, no, yeah. it's, it's fair enough. I I agree with you on the, the theme with Aerith is it never really hit a chord with me either because I never really used her. 
and I always felt that the relationship between Tifa and Cloud was a lot more obvious. And there have been arguments made that the relationship that Aerith has with Cloud, she only has that because he reminds her yeah. of her old boyfriend, Zach, um, who you you can learn a bit more about Zach through optional cutscenes and going to specific places. But Zach gets um, a lot more fleshed out in... Um, the sequel to this game, uh, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which I've not played, um, but I know a fair bit about Zack. But there's always been that argument of, does Aerith like Cloud, or is it just that because Cloud bases his entire personality off Zack and is so confused and thinks he is Zack, that's why Aerith likes him so much? But I think there's um, a thing in this game, as you as you get in other games, where you're going to fall one side of the fence, aren't you? Mm. You're going to fall on the Aerith side or the Tifa side. And and I think that's, from um, the commentary that I saw, that seems to be a thing. And um, I would say in my playthrough, I fell more on the Tifa side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, same. I, I, I always have done. And, I mean, the whole thing with Aerith's death, Aerith's death um, is the fact that you, you, you mentioned it, you, you said before, and spoilers. But I think that this is possibly one of the most spoilt moments in video games. Yeah. Everyone knows that in Final Fantasy VII, one of the characters dies and it's quite a deep moment and she gets stabbed through the stomach while she's praying. And I, I don't know. This game came out in 97, as we've mentioned. And I think we mentioned it in the, in the Metal Gear Solid episode that games before about 98, 97, 98, they, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them were very base, basic. They didn't have deep stories. Or one of the ways that I've heard about the death scene with Aerith is, like, that doesn't happen. Like, that doesn't happen in games. You know, if a, if a character dies, you just revive them, they'll come back. Whereas Aerith is such a force for good in the game and she's such a pure character and she's so she's sweet yeah and to have her just be killed in a cutscene out of the blue no one was really expecting that at the time and i think that's why it stands out as one of the biggest kind of spoilers or, or shocks in video games because it hadn't really been done before to the scale in which it was done in final fantasy 7 and same as you it didn't really affect me much because I didn't use Aerith. Like I, I never have done. So for me, it was very much a oh, right, okay, well, off we go to the next place. But for some people, they like it had a real big effect on my, them. I think my point, I, I think a point that I was making was that even without that development, mm-hmm. because the moment, if the moment is done right and it's very, it's very difficult to get a moment right if a moment's done right where all the pieces combine into this sort of blissful thing um for me as a person i don't necessarily need all the development in the world i don't necessarily need all the plot or the law that moment is more important to me and i think that moment was a very nice moment and mm. it was very sweet and the wording was right and the music was right and then um the cutscene way just the whole setup kind of lets it, her go 
Yeah, and it, and it and it it caught me off guard. Not in that I didn't know it was going to happen, yeah. but more in that I didn't know it was going to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'd never completed this game before. I knew it happened. You expected to happen at the end sure or when in the story. I thought it was going to happen later, maybe not right at the end, but yeah. uh, later in the game. Um, so I thought, oh, they're doing it here. And I think a good game, and this is a this is a worthy um, sort of tangent to go down. Mm-hmm. I think a good game um, can really capture those feelings of loss in you, yeah. the player, or a good film for that matter, mm-hmm. or a good book. I think when we view death and loss in media, um, we can sort of feel in a microcosm some of those feelings that you feel in real life. Definitely. And it can help you to reflect on those feelings. So with the loss of Aerith, I'm sure many people felt like, oh, that was too soon. Um, I'll... And and you go through those stages, those stages of um, yeah. coming to terms with someone that's died. And I'm sure in a microcosm, you go through those. And for me, it was, okay, they're going to do it here. And I thought, well, I've not had much time to speak with her and develop that relationship. But they've they've killed her and she was a sweet character. So I maybe not as strongly as some people, but I had a, a sort of um, miniature feeling of oh okay that was um that was interesting and that made me then go and reflect yeah and i think as a grown-up maybe maybe it's lost when you lost on you when you're younger but Mm -hmm. i think as a grown-up and you i always think the first time that i encountered death as an adult um as a kind of matured person i'm 33 now and it it wasn't a huge amount of time ago but i'm not going to elaborate on that no um so you f- you feel it feel you feel you feel it so much more than and I don't know what that is that maybe it's you kind of um you're growing older and that hits you hard yeah and so anything that can um reflect that anything that can help you to come to understand that I think is important and they do it all the time in films and books and and video games now to varying levels of success. And I think you, I, I think you'd agree with me in saying that, um, in the last of us part two, there was also death in a microcosm when, um, Joel died. Yeah. And going through those feelings of loss there and you go through those feelings of loss alongside Ellie. Um, it's an interesting topic. And for the life of me, I haven't, come to terms with why we're here um what death means and how to cope with that um so yeah it's it's an interesting thing and uh as i say a worthy tangent to go down yeah i i, I think so um it's funny that you mentioned the last of us part two because whenever i think of a video game where someone dies i immediately think of the, f- uh, the first last of us um when sarah dies at the start and I remember watching yeah. some of the playthroughs of that game and like, you know, big video YouTube, big video YouTubers, big, big YouTubers, gaming YouTubers, sorry, um, watching that scene and like breaking down in tears because it is so emotional. And I don't, I don't know. I think the whole thing with Aerith is very much dependent on 
your relationship with her in the game. But it does hit hard, particularly when you know the context behind it as well. Um, I think that it is very well done. And it's it's interesting that, that, that you knew it was coming, but you didn't know it was coming at that point. But I guess, why would you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's good that it surprised you a little bit. One of... One of the other things that I wanted to touch on just while we're speaking about the characters is Sephiroth himself. And I realise that you've not played Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, but I think you're a bit intrigued by it, aren't you? Um, yeah, I am of the opinion. I've not really revealed my hand yet in terms no. of this game, in terms of how I feel about it. Um, I am of the opinion that this game... Uh, can be difficult for a newcomer in the yeah. year 2023. Um, so I understand the um, idea behind updating it. Mm-hmm. So that's what intrigues me. I've... Seeing this game from modern audience. Uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got a complicated thought process with Final Fantasy VII Remake. And one of the things that it does that I feel is completely different from Final Fantasy VII, and anyone... I'm kind of playing the cards close to the chest here regarding the remake because if we do play it, I want you to experience it firsthand yeah, and not have anything like spoiled to, to you. Um, but one of the things that the remake I does... know what you're going to say already. Sorry? I know what you're going to say. What's um, that? I think you may have said it to me already, which is that Sephiroth is kind of overplayed, overused yep. um, in that period of um, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part mm-hmm. 1. Yes. Um, compared to what he is in the original Final Fantasy VII. Correct. So I think Sephiroth is one of the great video game villains. And when you read his dialogue and see the stuff he does when you're a bit older, he is a little bit cheesy, he is a little bit, um, a bit cringe at some points. But the way that the game handles Sephiroth, I think is very clever. Because really, it's only until you're about, I don't know, 10 hours into the game that you start getting a sniff of Sephiroth and, you know... You, you need to you, stop you, sniffing him, don't you? you? You stop sniffing him, you get the sniffer dogs out and the sniffer dogs start sniffing him for you. Um, but, you know, you have Sniffer-off. the president of... <laughs> you, uh, you have the president of Shinra who's murdered in his office and he's got Sephiroth's sword in his back. And that's the first time that you really see anything to do with Sephiroth other than people mentioning him in passing. And Sephiroth is kind of like a myth in this game. He's enigmatic. Yeah. He, after that, the next kind of section that you hear about Sephiroth is Cloud recounting what happened five years ago and how Sephiroth was an ally, but then went completely mad burnt down Cloud's entire village and murdered everyone. And there's that very famous cutscene of, of Sephiroth looking over the horizon at the burning village and walking away into the fire. And you don't really come across Sephiroth properly for a very long time. I mean, you don't come across a real Sephiroth until the end of the game. But the thing that they do well with Sephiroth is that he is, like you say, he's very enigmatic. He's a myth. You just hear about people saying, oh, I've seen a man in a black cape. Oh, Sephiroth is the the greatest warrior yeah, of all time. Yeah, all through the game. You know, it, it isn't really the case of, oh, you see Sephiroth and you fight him quite early on. You do not face Sephiroth until the end. 
and everything that you've heard about him is true because he's incredibly powerful. And I think that's one of the the reasons why Sephiroth is classed as one of the the most famous video game bad guys ever, maybe. Because he isn't overdone to the point of, yeah, you get used to seeing him around. He is very much a, this man is a threat, he is a myth, and you cannot catch him and you cannot match him. Um, he's just very... I'd, I'd fabled maybe is the word I'm yeah. I'm looking for you know yeah um did, did you have any particular thoughts on Sephiroth as a character no I like I like the development of him I think that was interesting um he's a shadow in a way a ghost mm. and he's a wanted poster that you're forever chasing um yeah I like that I think it's interesting yeah, yeah. He's he's very different from Kefka. I just want to I just want to say I've just thought about this. Um, sorry to interject. No problem. So, the moment that I believe I remembered when I was from when I was a child yeah. and saw someone playing this, there's a there's the point where you're in the truck with Sephiroth. Yes. And it is raining. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've got the windscreen wipers going, and, and that is very super. near the point. Yeah, that is very near the point within the uh, Shimmer Mansion. Mansion. Yes. Could so I think it's those two memories have become confused. Maybe. And it's a snapshot of those things. Because you are actually fighting in the rain as well. When when the, the van stops, I'm pretty sure it's raining um, when Sephiroth yeah. and Cloud fight the dragon. Uh, so yeah, yeah that, that's so probably it then. Um, a bit of a blend. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, there you go. Mystery may be solved, perhaps. Um, so I realise that we've been going for a while. So we'll we'll, yes. we'll move on to the next section, which is gameplay as king. So, do you think that yeah. this game is fun to play? Uh, it has its ups and downs. Um, sometimes One of the ups I being the mini games. Game. I know that you like those a lot. I I couldn't stand <laughs> the mini games, and it was a funny thing. And it, and and this isn't the only game that's that's guilty no. of it. It's a funny thing. Um, I think you got it at this time, and I think you got it into the two thousands of. Mini games being thrown in for variety, quote unquote. Yes, and they're all over the place here. Some are better than others. Some are painful, and I just found them really annoying. And if you fail them, you just keep repeating them until you do them. And yeah, that, they weren't fun. Um, some some points, I'd really get into this game and I'd kind of flow with it, and then. I'd pick it up the next day and I'd struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I'd flow for a bit. And then I got to the final third and I did struggle with this game. Um, I'd say I enjoyed it probably up to a bit after Aerith's death where um, you get the bit where you're finding out about Cloud and his psyche and you're playing as Tifa. Um, that's quite a cool section. And then after that, I don't know. I just didn't really have the follow through to want to complete it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've not completed this game yet. I'm on the final boss and I'm leveling up for the final boss and I will go away and do that. I'm kind of um, really getting to grips with the material system now that was leveling up in the background. But um, obviously for the final boss, you need to really come to grips with that. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I will complete it. Hopefully by our our next episode next week, um, I will have completed it. But yeah, I'm, I'm right on the cusp of completion but I really had ups and downs with this game 
I think playing it on under time pressure as well. Yes. Didn't help. Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, I find that when we're playing games. I find it when we're playing games anyway for the for for the podcast. Obviously, we've always got the time constraints, and when you when you're playing a game in an ideal world. You're never playing it under uh, time restrictions. Yeah. You, you, you're doing it Take in your time. own time. You're playing it as and when you want. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I felt like I had to put a shift in of Final yeah, Fantasy yeah. VII almost every day, um, an hour to two hours. And that's not the best way to play any game. No. So there were days where I think you can probably attest to it. I, I, I'm quite a patient person with games. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as much in life, but it, with games, I'm quite patient. Um and I was getting very frustrated at points, and and I know I was. Um, so yeah, it was it was ups and downs for me. I, I like the material system. I've come to like the material system. I think there's a lot of wrinkles in it. I said to you yesterday, I appreciate a system that can break a game, and there are other games that do this as well that do it quite well, and I like it here too. I don't like all of the um, the combat system. I don't like the time element to battles. I said to you, I prefer. For that to be R2B static and time battle, yeah, and just yeah, and just uh, you having the time to make your decisions. I don't like, especially when I was playing the game under time pressure. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the fact that when I was in combat, I was also being pressured to make the move there and then, and to scroll all the way down the massive item list to the item that I wanted or the magic that I wanted. Um, so it was a real mixed bag for me, to be honest. Yeah, um, I know what you're going to say. So, so would you like to elaborate on it? Well, I, th- I think you made a good point to me um, when we weren't recording that this game could use some quality of life upgrades. Um, yeah, this game is very old. It came out in '97, and they've upscaled some areas of it, the graphics slightly, uh, a few bits and bobs here and there, and they've in the in the 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 remasters that they've released we both played this on the switch they've included like a an increased time thing so you can speed up the game uh, or you can have limit breaks which is good and stuff um but I, I i can absolutely agree that this game is flawed um the mini games aren't great i mean the only one that i think is serviceable is the escape from midgar on the motorbike the the skiing one that was all right. Yeah, I mean the skiing one's absolutely crap. Um, <laughs> the submarine one is okay, but there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Like the chocobo racing, I've never really got into that. Yeah, yeah, the distractions. And, and to be fair, when you when you're taking your time with this game, it's it's quite fun. Um, but it is very much the case of this game can be slow and it can be a slog sometimes. So I do get that. I mean, in terms of whether it's fun or not. I don't think this is the kind of game that you play for fun. I resonate with this game because yeah, of the story and the characters, not so much the gameplay, which links in with me saying in the past, you know, I'm very much a story-focused person with games, but gameplay obviously helps. Um, was there, I don't think it's right to say favourite move or thing, but were there any favourite moments for you in the game? Um, obviously, we've, we've mentioned Aerith's death. Were there any other like moments that stick out for you? I really like the introduction of Aerith. I like the fact that she's glimpsed in a cutscene mm. near the beginning and um, then you meet her in the church and you've got that section where it's just Aerith in cloud. Um, yeah. Like I say, it was very sweet. And yeah, this this game doesn't show its 
it has got flaws and it doesn't really show them until you've played it for a little while and that that opening section was really um quite a lot of promise for me and i was hoping that it kept up that pace yeah um for me it didn't entirely do that but yeah that that was a nice moment and and there are there are nice moments scattered throughout um i find that the design of the let's say dungeon areas to be not very thrilling especially the last one Mm -hmm. one of the things i had a real problem with um i know i'm critiquing the game again um is the placement of save points Mm -hmm. um so nowadays i feel like games do a lot better with this in that if you've got a big boss generally speaking you get a save point beforehand Final Fantasy VII likes to put the save point afterwards um, a lot of the time. And then you've got the the final dungeon area where you have a save point that you can use manually and you can place it anywhere in the dungeon, which on paper is a nice idea, but you don't know how long that dungeon is. Um, so I placed it probably a bit before halfway through it, which means that every time I go and face Sephiroth now, I've got to do half a dungeon plus the four bosses at the end. Um, yeah, and I and I, I find that to be a slog, but yeah, uh, in terms of I like the summons. I mean, I like the summons in the Final Fantasy games in, in general. I think they're fun to do. Um, I think some of the animations for the summons, although long, are quite impressive for the time. Yeah, um, the uh, the one for Sef- Sephiroth. Uh, what's that? One Supernova. Called? Supernova goes yeah, on for that, about that two is, minutes. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's very long. Um, but from a visual standpoint for 1997, yeah, it's pretty good effects wise what they managed to do, um, with the system. Um, what's your favorite moment or move or anything? I think that the, um, my favorite moment of the game, um, I I agree with you on most of the stuff, like the material system I really like, and I've said that before. Um, and the summons, summons are decent. I don't mind the combat, but my favorite moment of the game is probably when you go to Cosmo Canyon for the first time. The whole section at Cosmo Canyon is when I was younger, I got stuck on Cosmo Canyon for a long time um, going through the cave, um, you know, before you fight the big boss at the end of the cave um, when you're on the way to find out Red 13's backstory. Yeah. Um, that, that got me stuck for a long, long time. Um, but the whole Cosmo Canyon section, when you go into... I think his name's Guggenhagen. When you go into Guggenhagen's observatory and he shows you what the life force of the planet does and what happens if the the life force is taken away and you can see the stars around you and the the comets flying and the black hole. There's just something about that section of the game that I just find a little bit magic. And it's probably because of the, the low... I like that area. Yeah, like Cosmo Canyon is a really cool place. Um, despite it giving me numerous headaches when I was younger, but I I love that section of the game. I think it's um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty special. So, moving on to, I've only got a, a couple more sections now, so uh, we can we can wrap it up relatively soon. But you bear with us. You've mentioned materia. So, what 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 were your thoughts on the materia system? Do you want to kind of describe the base level of it? Because I know that you're still kind of coming to grips with it a bit, aren't you? And you're learning more about it as we as we go. Um, I don't think it's that well introduced. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you said to me that there's a tutorial of it in a room somewhere yep. off one of the main rooms. Yeah, in Sector 7. Which I missed. Um, if I did read it, I skimmed through it yep. and it didn't sink in very well. Um, so which is my fault. But at the same time, I think games have gotten better at explanation helping you along with that stuff yeah mm. and um making sure you've got the tools that you need um for the rest of the game i found actually that i didn't really need to understand in great depth the material system until i got to sephiroth mm-hmm. um which again is not great in terms of design that being said it i started to get it last night and really it's a good system i like it I, like i said i like the fact that you can probably break the game with it mm-hmm. um Games are always more fun when there are no constraints, and it, it always it, it reminds me of um, as a comparison, Goldeneye in terms of when they created Goldeneye, <laughs> they had no restraint because they didn't know what the restraints were. Yeah, um, this is a bit like that. Oh, what what what, what are the limits for this system? Oh, there are none. We yeah. just do whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I quite like that. I don't. I don't really. I'm. I've, I've kind of researched and I'm using um, combinations of materia now and they they make your moves more powerful. Um, I've unlocked some powerful materia, but there are um, some that are locked behind tasks that are very um, time-consuming or difficult, so I probably won't get those. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's certainly not my favourite um, combat system in, a, in an RPG, but it's, it's decent for the time. There, there's so much that you can do with the materia system. Um, for anyone that hasn't played the game, the materia system is basically how you assign magic and specific moves to characters in the game, and they're linked to your armor and your weapons. Um, but as you go through the game, materia grows alongside with you in terms of your levels. So as you level up, your materia levels up as well until you get it to the highest possible section. Um, and you've, you've probably come across it maybe in the text, but perhaps didn't follow it, but master materia. And when... Um. Yeah. Yeah. So once you master certain like sets of materia, you can either sell it for a really you can sell it for a high price, as our friend in Resident Evil Four would say, or you can use it for huge amounts of damage. But there are two kind of choice battles that you can do in the game. You defeat the ultimate weapon, but then there are two other weapons, the emerald weapon and the ruby weapon. And unless you've yeah. got a guide or unless you know the game like the back of your hand, you don't know how to do these things. But to fight the Emerald Weapon, which is the weapon under the sea, you have to, from memory anyway, you have to like master some materia, I think, to then trade it with a traveller in the village of Calm. So he gives you like a rebreather so that you can breathe underwater. Um, and it's stuff like that that you, you never know. And there are so many like little things in this game. There's a lot of that in this game. Yeah. Huge amounts. Um like one of one of the the very in-depth things that you can do in this game is chocobo breeding. And if you breed a number of chocobo and you make the right kind of breeding choices, you can breed yourself a gold chocobo. And getting a gold chocobo means that you can run across the water, run across run across anything. And only by having a gold chocobo can you go and find the strongest summon materia in the game, which is called Knights of the Round. 
And yes, I've heard of this. If you if you don't have the gold chocobo, you can't get it. Like I've never got the the Knights of the Round material because I've never bred a gold chocobo because I can't be arsed with it. Um, but there's just so many different elements of this game that are so easy to miss if you either don't know what you're doing or you don't get lucky. And a lot of the stuff I did find myself lost at certain points in this game in yeah. terms of what to do next. Yeah, and I. I Try not to use guides, but I actually did use a guide for not not all the time, but for certain points in mm-hmm. this game, I used a guide because again we had the time constraint and yeah, I yeah. wanted to get through it. Um, and, and frankly, in twenty twenty three, I don't like running around not knowing what I'm doing. Um, I feel like it's not the most efficient use of my time. So yeah, um, that that came into play as well. This game does keep a lot behind um, closed doors. And, and games did back then. And I said to you, um, playing this game, when I played Final Fantasy X for the second time, I bought a guide and I enjoyed it a lot more that time. Yeah. And I feel like I'd have enjoyed this game more with like a proper Prima guide. Well, Shout I, out to the old Prima guides. I, I, I was about to say then, like, I, I, I don't think that you'll probably go back to play this game for a very long time, if ever. But I think that you would enjoy this game a lot more on a second playthrough because you'll spot things that maybe you didn't see the first time because you were learning the the basics of it. And there are still things in this game that I find now playing through it for the 7th, 8th, ninth time that I'd never noticed before. There are so many things in this game that are so in-depth. Like one of the, the cutscenes that you can get when Cloud and Zack are on their way back to Gungaga Village, I think it is, after they've been rescued from Shinra Mansion, I've never got that cutscene and I don't know how to get it. I know that one day I will get it and I already know what happens in that cutscene, but I've never got it myself. There are just so many things that you can miss. Um, But yeah, I I wanted to bring those up. So the next section, I'm going to focus on music. um, And I think all the music was composed by um, famous Final Fantasy VII, sorry, famous Final Fantasy series composer uh, Nobuo, Nobuo Uematsu. So I think we talked in Final Fantasy IX that we both like the music in that game. And, you know, some of the music in Final Fantasy X is great as well. And, you know, Final Fantasy VIII has some of the best music in the series. But what did you think of the music in Final Fantasy VII? Because there's no voice acting. It is yeah, just I, all music. I liked it. Um, there are a couple of tracks that I would go and listen to outside of the game, which is always my test yeah. to decide what what level the the music ranks mm-hmm. um it's, it's it's not my favorite soundtrack ever but yeah it's it's a it's a good soundtrack and there are some standout tracks as i said i really like Aerith's theme i think that's a lovely piece of music um that's the one that really kind of struck a chord with me and i've actually listened to it outside of the game um i quite like the battle theme as well yeah so many rpgs get this wrong um Battle themes, they're the themes that you're going to listen to so most when you're playing RPGs. But it's amazing how many games get battle themes wrong. Um, but this is a decent one. It's quite enjoyable. So And the boss yeah, theme as well. Decent. I don't have... Yeah. I don't have a huge amount to say about it. But yeah, it's, it's a nice soundtrack. Because uh, I know that you attempted Sephiroth yesterday. One of the... One of the very big points to touch on when discussing the music of this game is Sephiroth's theme. Um, which yeah, because I think you got to the third stage of Sephiroth, which is I th- I think when the track comes in. One, no, one I angel. got the I got to um, 
Safer Sephiroth, yeah. which is the second stage. The third stage apparently is unfailable, so yeah. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the, thir- the third stage, stage you, you can't fail. Um, so yeah, I'm guessing that means that you did get to the One Winged Angel track, which is like the orchestra track. Do you know what I'm talking I about? I might have done. It's like, dun, dun, No, because... It's like got an entire orchestra. I did 12,000 damage and got wiped out, so... Um, <laughs> Didn't have a chance to listen to it over my raging. When when uh, when you get to that section again, listen to the music because it is probably the most famous Final Fantasy track there is. It's kind of classified as Sephiroth's track, um, but they they did that with an entire orchestra and choir um, to to do that track. And I think it's the only one in the game that has actual voice uh, voice recording in it. But it's um, One Winged Angel is a very very intense and epic track. I would say. So, and can we talk about the graphics? We're literally about to come on to the graphics now. So, what would you like to say about the graphics, Popeye? <laughs> uh, so, what do you, so, when you first showed me the graphics of Final Fantasy VII, what was my reaction? You were sick in your lap. <laughs> I was, I, I was surprised because um, Final Fantasy IX looks quite good. Yeah, for the for the PlayStation. And I know Final Fantasy VII's earlier. Um, let's just say that, that that they hadn't quite got a grasp on how character models should look. That being said, the character models in battle are so much better than the ones when you're running around. And maybe it's a scaling thing because the ones when you're running around are smaller. And maybe it has to do with the pre-rendered backdrops. Um, but in battle, they look so much better. And I would have much preferred they use those ones in in um exploration so yeah i was when we were playing i was uh describing to you all the things that i thought the characters arms looked like cricket bats yep um pawns from chess um (laughs) among other things yeah so it's it's an old game it is pre-rendered backgrounds are not the best i've seen um they look quite blurry, especially in a, in a HD version of the game. And I often got confused as to where my exits were with this game. Um, yeah. Because they're hard to read. Which is um, which is why they, they added that thing in. It wasn't in the Japanese original. But I think I told you... you told me about the, yeah, about halfway button, through. Uh, and it, it shows you where all of the entrances and exits are. In, and in I each. never stopped using it after that. Yeah, it is very helpful. Um, I mean... I agree with you. This isn't the best looking game ever and it has aged in terms of the graphics incredibly poorly. But I think that the graphics of this game are part of what lends it its charm because I've seen fan mods of this game where they have the battle models as like the the gameplay models and it feels very off. And I mean... I don't think they'd mesh very well with the the pre-rendered backgrounds. that's it. I think that's it. Um, but as bad as the character models are, and they are, they, they look like Lego people, really, don't they? Um, I Claimable. I really like I the pre. Generous. <laughs> I, I really like the pre-rendered backgrounds in this game. Um, granted, not all of them look amazing; they don't look great. But I think, in their simplicity, is what makes them so charming. And one of my favourite pre-rendered backgrounds in the entire game is when you've just got past the Midgar Zolom, you know, that big snake. And yeah. you see the 
the snake and it's been killed by Sephiroth. And then you go a little bit further and you go over a little mountain. And it's when you go over like the, the really long bridge and you let the, the train track bridge down to let the others over. And it's got that music in the yeah. background. And you're running over this hill and you can see like um, the sunrise or something coming up. And it's basic, but I really like that. It's a very calming environment. Yeah, it's very cinematic for the time. Oh, hugely, hugely. Um, and, you know, just the whole of the Midgar section and how grimy and horrible it is. And you get a real sense for these people are suffering. You know, you've got the pe- you've got the people below serving the people above on the big plates in the sun and all the people below have no, no sunshine, nothing, no money. And they just get used and abused as the, as the Shinra see fit. I think the Midgar section of this game is very poignant in terms of the look. Uh, it's very grey and very drab. So the question of the week then. We discussed um, off air or off podcast or off recording, whatever you want to call it, I said to you that, upon reflection, I think that this game is as important as um, Ocarina of Time. We discussed in the Ocarina of Time episode that although we might not think that Ocarina of Time is the best game of all time, which on Metacritic it class as it is, it's probably the most important game of all time. I would put Final Fantasy up there in terms of the importance alongside The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, definitely top 10. Yeah, 100%. Importance-wise. So... In terms of its importance is one thing, but a lot of people, obviously myself included, think that this game is special. So why do you think, if you can, you know, work it out now, I'm putting you on the spot, but why do you think so many people think that this game is special? And maybe as well, why do you think that I think this game is so special? I think it's timing, and timing is is important with everything. Yep. Um... I know this came out a couple of years after the PlayStation was born, but this was a killer app for the PlayStation. Um, I'm not sure if it was the first killer app, but it certainly came out before Metal Gear Solid and all, all that stuff. So it was one of the earlier um, killer apps for the PlayStation. I think things like Crash Bandicoot came out before. Um, yeah, I think the first Crash was so, 96. Yeah, just before Mario 64, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think timing is so important. So the people that you look at on YouTube, there there are are a lot of people that really love this game and have... I mean, I searched Final Fantasy VII Retrospective and there are all these glowing retrospectives of the game um, explaining why people love this game so much. Um and there's an age group thing and from what i can work out those people were either children or teenagers when they played it Mm. and i think that's important and it's not just nostalgia i think that time uh, and, and we're both getting older we're not young anymore but we're certainly not old um so we're both getting older and I think you, you come to really assess that time in your life and there is something about the fact that it's a carefree time in your life and, and um, you don't have the, the weight of the world and the pressures and you have time. You have time to complete these games, to play these games, to play Cosmo Canyon, to 
um, over and over again until maybe you finally get through it. Mm. And it's the luxury of time, the luxury of not having that pressure. And the best times in my life are the times when I've probably I've had least pressure. And I think that's natural. And automatically childhood, not for everyone, but for a lot of people is that. Um, uh, and I think a new player in 2023 playing this 1997 game I'm not going to say I certainly am not going to say that um, you couldn't get into it because I think you can I think a lot of people would get into it a lot less than I did but I think a few people would get into it a lot more than I did so um, I think it's a more difficult sell in 2023 because it's such an old game I think it hit at the right time there are those cinematic elements. There is the fact that there's so many pre-rendered cutscenes that were very, very popular at the time. There is this story of loss. Um, probably, as you say, one of the first games um, to really explore loss yeah. in depth. And, and that hits hard. There's the scale of this thing. This is an adventure. This is an adventure in the same vein that Ocarina of Time is an adventure. This was a time when 3D graphics were young and... The idea of a, a sprawling 3D um, adventure was quite novel. Um, certainly one of the factors that I think um, plays into the favour of Ocarina of Time. We can't... <clears throat> one of the things I was thinking about when I played it, I can't possibly... It's impossible for me to experience this game as you experience Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, I can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. I can't... No. Uh, put lightning back back into the bottle. Um, I don't know what I was getting at. <laughs> I, I, I get <laughs> Lots it. Lots of a train of thought. Try, try, try and compare it to my experience of this game and my experience of it. You can't do it because I played this game at such a young age and it kind of followed me through my teenage years. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think we can't relive that era of the introduction of 3D gaming. Yeah. That was a special era. And they talk about diminishing returns with games in terms of graphics, but that introduction to 3D, it's never going to happen again. And those important games that came out at the time, those games that started to get 3D right, those first adventures in that 3D world that expanded our scope beyond um, a 2D game, they're going to be magical. They're going to be special. And I think it would be very hard at our age, you being a year younger than me, um, to find anything that comes close to that. Mm. I'd say I've managed it maybe once. Well, I'd say twice in my adult life um, compared to however many times as a, as a child. Um, yeah. And, and I think for that reason, it's intangible. I think the reasons you love this game are interwoven with who you are as a person. Yeah. And how how can I possibly unravel that? How can I analyse that? I can't. It's a game that you grew up with, a game that took you many, many years to complete. You lived with this game. You, you sat with this game. Um, you slowly made progress in this game and you finally overcame this game. Mm. This game matured along with you and 
is a fundamental part of who you are to the point where you have it tattooed on yourself. Yeah. Um, so, I, I get it. And I can't understand it, but I get yeah. it. I understand from afar what that means to you. So, so, same so, yeah, with Mario 64, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... so what you you couldn't get past the camera, but you understand yeah. in terms of three D. It was it was the it was the fundamentals. It, it, was, it, was, it was massive. The, the, but I paving the way. Get for, my head into that mentality of of nineteen ninety six. No, and you can't go back. You can't. no, exactly. So all I can do, I, I, I appreciate it, and I do. I I can imagine what that felt like but I can't feel what that felt like mm. makes sense and that's my that, yeah that's my poetic last line and that's what you think about that no that, that that's fair enough and like I said at the start I don't think I can probably put into words why I why this game strikes such a chord with me but I think you've done quite a good job there it is it is kind of woven into who I am because of my journey and my experience with this game and there is a difference between something being your favourite game of all time and being your favourite piece of media of all time. And that's a really big thing that, you know, I I can't explain because it is part of my core. Um, And, you know, we've, we've been, well, I've, I've certainly been kind of bringing this game up for three years and ahead of, recording this episode because i've spent years watching big youtube channels talk about this game yeah it's like trying to understand yeah the intricacies and, and what it means to you yes and kind of before we recorded i thought to myself i was like those people talking about why this game is so special those one two three hour videos this is my opportunity to do that but in my own words and i don't yeah. think that i can like I said, really put into anything tangible what specifically this game does for me. But hopefully in this episode, it's kind of given you, the listener, an idea of maybe thematically why this game is so important to me or where from my youth this game struck such a chord with me um, or why the character's journeys struck such a chord and well here's a question for you yeah and i know i know we're going along with this episode and i'm aware of that um yeah so you talked about breath of fire 3 Mm -hmm. why this game over breath of fire 3 or any other game that you played at that time why this game um that's a very hard question to answer. I mean, the difference between Breath of Fire 3 and this game is that graphically, Breath of Fire 3 is, from memory, is sprite-based, mostly. And this game, okay. I think, probably felt so much bigger than anything I'd experienced before. Like, playing Tomb Raider 1 and 2, you know, Lara is in some big environment, like the Great Wall of China, they're big. But this felt bigger. You know, this is a world... Epic. Yeah, this is a world that you're in. And, you know, probably when I was younger, it was like, oh, I like the cool blonde hair guy with spiky hair and the big sword. That's cool. But as you grow and get older, you kind of 
see the the themes um, popping out a little bit more, maybe. And if I were to answer it now, I think it's the case that maybe when I was younger and it's a it's an area of myself that I can't get access to, so I don't know, but it must have struck something with me where I felt akin to it yeah. in a certain way. And I think it's yeah. why my thoughts and my relationship with Final Fantasy VII Remake are so complicated because I knew yeah. before that game came out there is no way that it's going to live up to everyone's expectations. It's just not possible. And Final Fantasy VII Remake is a very, it's a very different game to what I think everyone was expecting. And when and if we play that game, you'll kind of understand what I mean by that. And it is the case that once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. Lightning can't strike twice. This game came to me at the right time. This game wasn't bought for me. I didn't own this game, but it came to me in that I was given access to it because my cousin didn't like it and she wasn't interested, so I took it from her. And it came to me and it struck a chord with me. And that's something that doesn't really... Like you said, it, it isn't really something that happens in adulthood. It doesn't really happen as you get older because there is something... Like I said, there's something magical about going to certain areas and seeing things. Like going to the Gold Saucer for the first time in that game. I remember that. And I remember how cool it was and how big it looked. And you go to it now, it looks a bit shabby. But back then, your imagination does things. And... I have a very specific memory and I don't know where it stems from, but I remember being maybe about 11 or 12 and being in bed and being scared to death because somehow I don't know where I was hearing it from. If it was in my head or if it was um, the television downstairs, but I don't know how it would be, but you know, the music that plays in the Shinra mansion, the, the bell, <laughs> I could just hear that for like a good 30 minutes and I don't know why and it scared me to death and it's just things like that that are kind of in my psyche that I'm like why did why did that happen I I, I don't understand why that was I was in bed it was yeah. nighttime the PlayStation wasn't on why could I hear that music and why did it scare me so much um it, it's like you said this this game is part of my core and it's part of my um my person I suppose um and it, it's good to actually talk about it so in depth because this is the first time I've ever really talked about this game uh, properly. You know, I'll always talk about, oh, I like Final Fantasy VII, it's good. But this is the first time I've ever managed to kind of drill into it, you know? Um, yeah. So there's one more thing that I want to ask you. And we've, uh, I mean, we've both played Final Fantasy X, but we've not played that for the list. But we have played Final Fantasy IX. How would you compare this game to Final Fantasy IX and which did you prefer? Well, this kind of um, ties in with my conclusion as well. Um, to me, <laughs> this game is good in spite of itself. I like this game more than Final Fantasy IX. I, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone um, from listening to the Final Fantasy IX episode. I wasn't bowled over by it. I had difficulty with that game as well. I kind of came to the conclusion that maybe I have difficulty with Final Fantasy games of this era. Um, mm. My first Final Fantasy game was Final Fantasy X. Yep. So I, 
I've played a ton of JRPGs today, but I hadn't played a few. Uh, I haven't played a few a huge amount from the nineties, so I kind of missed that era of um, yeah. JRPGs. So it, it felt like a, a bit of a step back. Um, I think it's better than Final Fantasy IX in most ways for me, um, other than the graphics. So yeah, it's a bit of a hands down win. Really, I don't really have much to say about nine would you say that Final Fantasy 10 is your favourite yeah I also when I played Final Fantasy 10 um, I I got a PS2 after I, I had my GameCube the PS2 was my first console that was mine yeah. what I mean by that is you weren't sharing it with um, brother. I shared the GameCube yeah. with my brother the PS2 was the first console that was mine and I kind of had this, and I love the PS2. That may be my favourite era of games. Yeah, it's up there for me as well. Um, I've said that to you. Um, that that was a golden era for me. And I tell you what, I think it is. And I'm again, I've never discussed this on on the podcast before. I had a world of games at my feet, and I had the freedom to choose what I wanted to play without that sharing aspect. So because of that, I played what I wanted, and I used to constantly weekly trade games in for other yeah. games and i must have played i'm not joking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ps2 games um i had a paper round and that funded this habit of mine uh so yeah final fantasy 10 was not a game i'd i'd seen again this same neighbor i'd seen him play it and i and i remember um hooray for maester seymour's wedding from, from yeah. when he played it um that cut scene and I thought, oh, this is um, a bit high fantasy. And, and yeah, I didn't really... I think because he used to go on and on about it, I didn't really... Um, wasn't that interested in it. But I had this money and I was trading games in. And by this point, Final Fantasy X was quite cheap. So I thought, I'll pick up a copy. I'll start playing it. And I really got into it. I hadn't played a ton of JRPGs at this point. The N64 was starved of JRPGs. The GameCube had some. Um, and it had some very good ones, but I wouldn't say um, as a console that I shared that I played a, a ton of them. So this was an early JRPG for me, and I really enjoyed it um, in that era. However, I've played so many JRPGs since then because I found that it's one of my favourite genres. Mm. And I'm not sure the Final Fantasy series as a whole is as special to me anymore as it once was. No, I get um, that. And that's something that I've had to come to terms with. So I'm, I'm going to replay Final Fantasy X and see how I feel about it because I'm I'm not sure. Um, I, I still feel positive about it, and I think I'll enjoy it. But will I enjoy it as much as I did? Maybe not. So that's going to be an experience for me. Um, if I do enjoy it a hell of a lot, maybe we'll see um, that game come up in future. But maybe not. I don't know. There's um, so yeah. That... But at, at the start of those completionist videos, that I was telling you about. Um, you know, uh, Matt Pat from the Game Theory uh, YouTube channel. No, not really. You you you, you do, but like not. I, I've shown you a couple of videos, like at uni maybe. But he um he says that his theory is that people's favorite Final Fantasy game is the first one that they played. So for you, that was Final Fantasy X, and that seems to be your favorite Final Fantasy game. For me, it was Final Fantasy VII. For my friend Joe. It was Final Fantasy VIII. Um, my other friend Let me elaborate on that then. I mean, 
I, I also think of my friend Greg, and he he loves the Final Fantasy games. He's a big fan of ten, but seven is up there for him as well. But I'm not sure which is the first one that he played. I think that his favorite is seven, and I think that seven is the first that he played maybe because I don't think he's that fussed by eight. And I don't think he's that bothered by nine, but it wouldn't surprise me if that. So I've had a thought. That's true. Go on. Every final, every uh, the first Final Fantasy game you play is your favorite. Mm-hmm. So, Final Fantasy VII was the breakthrough Final Fantasy the world over. Yes, people played Final Fantasy VI, but yes, I believe I may be wrong about this, but I believe Final Fantasy VII was the first Final Fantasy game released in Europe. Um, not released in Europe, but it was the first time that um, Square and the, the, time. the publishers kind of were like, right, we're putting a line in the sand here because particularly in North America, they would call Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy IV, and all the numbering was off. So Final Fantasy VII, oh. they drew a line under it and said, right, this is Final Fantasy VII, that is it. Okay. So my point that I'm getting at is... I reckon a lot of people hadn't played mm. JRPGs until they played Final Fantasy as a series. I think Final Fantasy was the introduction to the JRPG for many gamers. Yeah, I think so. So that idea of your first Final Fantasy being your favourite, for many people, the world over, that was their introduction to not just Final Fantasy, but to JRPGs and the kind of uniqueness of what that is. And I think there's a bit of, there's a bit of ground to that. I think that, I think the idea of that being an introduction to a genre. And I, and I wonder if it still has that crown. I'm not convinced it does. I get what you mean. I, I, I had a feeling that you were going to suggest that maybe that, you know, um, I, I, I think as well that, this was maybe the first experience that people had of maybe not of JRPGs, but of the Final Fantasy series. So therefore it would be their favourite because it was such a, a huge thing. Um, not universally, obviously, but I think that's a fair comment to make and it makes sense as well. Um, I mean, in terms of... Um, we will come on to the conclusion in a moment, I promise. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what if you'd played this game maybe we i don't know split this game well i was gonna say we may have to split this episode into parts like the, uh, the red dead redemption 2 if um <laughs> yeah. if you'd played this game 10 years ago and you enjoyed it do you think you'd have been excited by the idea of the the remake being announced not necessarily no there are games that i do um there are games that i really like that remakes have been announced for. I think I've been burned too many times and, and yeah. so often they, they butcher them or get them wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, nowadays, I, I don't get caught in the hype and I kind of wait and see yeah. if it reviews well. If um, if the, the general consensus is that it's worth playing, then then I might look into it. But no, I, I, if, they, if they announced a remake of Majora's Mask... Or one of the other games that I love, I'd be very skeptical. Yeah. Um, again, you can't catch lightning in a bottle again, can you? No, that's it. And I, I rode the hype train for this game hard, the remake, um, and was disappointed. 
uh, I think I played I played it and I enjoyed it. And I thought it was good, but looking back on it, I've only played it once. I didn't really like it as much as I thought that maybe I did. Um, but that is a another topic for another time, I suppose. So um, conclusion then. Do you think that this game deserves to be on the top 100 list, even though it is not? More than nine. Mm. Yeah. As I said before, I like this game in spite of itself. And a couple of things I want to touch on here. How many times in your childhood would you say that a game captured your imagination to the point where it's all you thought about? And you didn't have any distractions, work or uh, anything like that. Um, Probably happened a lot more when you were a child yeah, than it yeah, compared to now. does in adult life. Agree. And in adult life, I can, as I said, count it two or three times. I think that's what makes the game special for a person. If it can completely capture them and it's all they think about going and playing it when they should be doing other things. Mm. And everything else just seems... Um, unimportant yes. to them and it's very hard to capture that in adult life because there's so much demanding your attention yeah so many pressures um so many things that you need to do as an adult yeah um that you didn't need to do as a child that's one thing i actually see um some parallels between this and majora's mask do you know what i mean by that um i'm not sure go on so Both of these games, very surprising for a Zelda game at the time, but both of these games are interested in death. Yes. And they they go two different ways with it. Final Fantasy VII is an exploration of death and loss and um, all the stuff that goes alongside that and what that means. Majora's Mask is also an exploration of loss and what that means. But it's the dark side of it. It's to me a little less positive um i feel like majora's mask is a very nihilistic game kind of like we're all doomed anyway and if you manage to save the world it's gonna restart and whatever you do is gonna restart um and there's something anxiety inducing about that and there's something anxiety inducing about majora's mask as a game Mm. and i feel like um Final Fantasy VII is a different exploration of that. But they're both, both very colourful and they're both with these kind of cartoony sort of casts that I think actually adds something to the telling of that story, to that exploration of death, of loss. And another thing that struck me is the meteor falling from the sky. And actually someone in one of the towns describes it as a moon falling from the sky um i don't know if you picked up on that i'm not sure if i know the specific example um so it's in medial uh, just one of the npcs in 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 that town describes it as a moon um it's not a moon but i just thought that's interesting yeah comparison someone described it that way yeah and i think majora's mask was different at the time uh in that you, you didn't have games going down uh, some no, of the quotes from it was very Mask still get me yeah like like when you're talking to the children right before you fight majora's mask or majora um you you have the children quoting saying um things like uh are your friends really your friends do they even like you mm. and, and just stuff that <laughs> unsettling could 
Yeah, really, it's really unsettling. It's it, just thinking about it gives me like the shivers. Um, and Final Fantasy VII, to a degree, does that for me. Um, so yeah, it, it's it. I, I, I don't quite know where, where I'm going with it, but it, it's it's something that came into my head. There is a similarity between them. In that, at this time, you didn't get many games doing that. And from a surface level, as a child playing Majora's Mask, as a child playing Final Fantasy VII, you probably didn't get that stuff. But when you look back and you look at some of the stuff that's being said to you, these games have depth, and that's what makes them stand out. Yeah, I think it does deserve to be there over Final Fantasy IX. But my reservation is. If we're, if we're only going to have one Final Fantasy game in the list, for me, I'm not sure whether that belongs to Final Fantasy VII or a different game. And I'm going to reserve that um, thought until maybe we've played a few more. As in, you don't know if it should be Final Fantasy VII or another Final Fantasy game? Yes. Okay. The only way I can see you going with that is Final Fantasy X, but I might be wrong. Um, maybe six. Maybe okay, maybe so. so I was going to say yeah, it would be between six and seven, um, but yeah, maybe we'll go to six at some point. Um, but I mean, the other yeah, two that I've got in my mind, six or ten. Yeah, fair. Um, I, you know, my feelings on ten. Um, I really struggle with that game, but I'm open to having my mind broadened on it by riding the shoe puff uh, as the shoe puff is waiting, all aboard. Um, to anyone that doesn't Correct. understand that reference um, go and play Final Fantasy X uh, and you'll learn but I, I I, obviously think that this game deserves to be here I was surprised when it was Final Fantasy IX on the list and not seven. Um very strange to me but yeah I think that this game although not perfect it does a lot of things right it isn't you know flawless and it does a lot of things wrong as well but the story that it tells, the journey that it takes you on, particularly for the time that it came out, I think it's so important. Um, and like I say to you, I think that this is up there with Ocarina of Time in terms of maybe not the greatest game of all time, but one of the most important game of all time. That a lot of I games. I think it's very important. Yeah, that a lot of games um, owe a lot to in terms of the path that it started to tread. Um, you know, so. Although, yeah, it might not be the number one game of all time, like Ocarina of Time, in terms of the importance of what it brings to the table and the conversations that it starts and the, the games that owe something to this game, I think it's right up there with Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So In the conversation. Yes, exactly. So that is our rather mammoth episode on Final Fantasy VII, um, which has been nice for me to talk about. It feels like therapy to some extent. I don't know why. Um, good but yes so I'm not allowed to mention Final Fantasy ever again now uh, or the word 7 banned that's right banned otherwise I'll go to the gulag so what have we got coming up next week please and thank you <laughs> um, is it going to be as long we as this episode do something different no I don't I, this is up there with the longest and, and I, I think I think we may, may need to consider splitting it for our own good nah um, it'll the, be alright for good i'll leave that in your hands um so next next time we've got a a much shorter game but a game that i really have a soft spot for 
um, Final Fantasy uh, I think many other people do as well. <laughs> no, um, not this time. Um, the game is Eco for the PS2. Uh, yes, so that's going to be coming up next week. Excellent. I've not played it before. Um, so. so, before you play it, mm. um, I've not thought about this before I'm speaking, so the words are going to come out of my mouth as they come out. Um, what do you? What, what should you know? Um, is Eco the one with the big dog I'm thing? I'm not going to... Uh, same, same. Um, not even the same series, but same creator, but different game. That's it. It's it's is Eco the one with the girl. You got to guide the girl around, maybe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's the one. I'm not going to say anything to you. Actually, I I really want you to experience this fresh. Excellent. I'll send you a trailer beforehand, as I usually do. Lovely. Um, but that's it. Excellent. Well, that'll be next week then. Um, but yes, yes, as always, if you've enjoyed this episode. We hope that you did, and uh, you can reach out. I've, I've forgotten how to do this now. My brain's kind of died. We've been talking for a long time. I hope you're still awake. Um... Yes, I hope you're still awake. But yes, you can reach out to us on social media with the Long and Short of It podcast. Email us at longandshortfitpodcast at hotmail.com. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you shared it with someone that might also enjoy it, um, or give us a little star rating or a follow. Something, you know, a bit of engagement. We always appreciate that as we come up to the last few weeks of the year. Um, and soon it will be Christmas. And mm-hmm. do we have a Christmas episode this year? Yeah, we do. Um, we haven't decided the game yet, but I've got an idea. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, we've got Not a great game, but a Christmas game. We've got a, we've got a few more episodes to come out before Christmas. So, yes, but that is everything on Final Fantasy VII and everything from me. Is there anything else from you for today? nope that's it lovely well we'll see you for eco next week and in the meantime take care cheerio see you on the next one